I don't just bring you the news, I bring you the newsmakers. Consul General of the U.S. Consul General in Lagos giving her first ever interview in Nigeria. Claire Pierangelo. They come to me because they know Lagos is listening. I love the way you engage Nigeria, especially with these people who are called to supremacy Nigeria. They feel they are more Nigeria than you are. We talk to the newsmakers. The special assistant to the president on digital and new media, Tolu Ogunasi. Frank Amber has just walked into the studio. Yawande Sadiku. Yawande is the executive secretary of NIPC, the Nigeria Investment Promotion Council. The senior special assistant to President Muhammad Buhari on public affairs, Mr. Ajuri Ngelali. We talked to captains of industry. She's the founder and CEO of Tomato Joss, one of Nigeria's biggest agro-industrial businesses. Her name is Mira Meta. He's been selected for Forbes 30 Under 30. His name is Inyolua Aboyeji. We talked to the experts. He's the chief economist at Business Day. He's a big friend of the show. Don't so be clean. He's the head of the Department of Molecular Biology and Biotechnology at the Nigerian Institute of Medical Research, NIMR. Dr. Bamidele Wallopo. And we talk to you. I found Mr. Usman through hard facts. He's a listener. He sent us a WhatsApp message when we were talking about the scanners at the port. Give me your afternoon and I'll give you the answers. What does the UK High Commission have planned for Nigerian women? You know, of course, that it's International Women's Day. You also know that we just had a very successful GlassCon uh, 2021, the first ever glass ceiling convention. And it brings me to our big hard fact. The UK High Commission was one of the partners for the first ever glass ceiling convention. And I really owe a big Thank you to the UK High Commission for showing up for women at the Glass Ceiling Convention and Nigerian women in general. They actually have quite a few programs um, designed specifically for Nigerian women. And they're here to tell us uh, about some of them, some of those specific programs today. Also their general vision for Nigerian women. Representing the High Commission and Her Majesty's Government is the Deputy High Commissioner. He also participated in GlassCon yesterday. He gave some very exciting, um, excellent remarks. Um, he, his name is Ben Lulin Jones. Welcome to Hard Facts. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Really, really good. First of all, I have to ask if you enjoyed GlassCon yesterday. I did. I did. I mean, I enjoyed it. I found it uh, in a lot of optimistic comments, lots of challenges as well, but really, really stimulating, really, really good to be a part of. It was really good. What, what were your favorite parts? Um, I think I think the uh, I mean the enthusiasm is always good to hear and that kind of gets you going. I think some of the reality check as well is also good. You know, it kind of grounds you in the challenges that are so apparent in Nigeria. Your uh, you showed a clip actually of women in River State protecting a ballot box. And mm. I was like, that. I mean, I've been to River State and I've been to other states where elections can be challenging. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's real. That's that's what people actually face. So mm. I think both the the enthusiasm, but also recognizing kind of the the miles that have to be travelled yet. Yeah, a bit daunting, but also exhilarating at the same time for sure <laughs> so um there's a particular uk nigeria program that i wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. before we talk about the other ones um the girls edu project mm. which has helped over two hundred thousand girls so far tell lagos what this thing is about what's this girls edu about how does it work sure so i mean basically we are uh we are very clear and we have a uh, an envoy prime minister's envoy helen grant mp who also happens to to be our trade envoy to Nigeria, also happens to have some excellent Nigerian heritage and has visited Nigeria. She and the Prime Minister and the UK are very committed to ensuring girls up to the age of 12 can stay in education, and for a number of reasons, um, partly to do with you know, education itself being a value, but also partly to do with the confidence and choices that women can make having had that kind of um, period of education. And we've seen that effect in a number of places around the world. 
it's really important to us that here in Nigeria we can support women, support young women particularly, to have that opportunity. So the project's literally to help young women get into education, stay in education through that period, support schools, find the incentives that keep young women, keep families keeping young women in education through that period, hmm. and really helping to, to make that real. In the face of what are some quite difficult odds, frankly, particularly, uh, particularly in parts of Nigeria where education is very challenged anyway. Mm. Well, what are the future plans for uh, Girls' Edu? Well, I mean, really to continue with that, to be honest. We want to make sure, I mean, sometimes the, the basics are the hardest thing to do. So helping people to stay in education, get into education, making sure that they can continue to access it, making sure those incentives are still there. That's, I mean, that's fundamental. That has to happen. That's really, really important. So mm. continuing persisting with that, particularly when the economic situation in Nigeria has got you know, more difficult, become more challenging, become more difficult perhaps to sustain that. So mm. really, really uh, doing the hard yards, making sure that can happen is, is key. In the estimation of the UK High Commission, what are the other, uh, well, not other now, the, the major challenges and obstacles in the way of full gender equality and the well-being of Nigerian women? What do you think needs to be done? What do you think needs to be put in place to overcome them? Well, first of all, I'd say, I mean, I'm, I'm from the UK and it's not as if we have completely travelled the right path on this either. I mean, I think uh, for women across the world, yeah. I speak as a man, but as, as a father, uh, you know, there are still huge challenges in the UK. We've had two female prime ministers. But that's two out of very, very many uh, mm. prime ministers and leaders. And, mm. you know, so it's not as if we've got this sussed and we don't pretend we have. Mm -hmm. I think in Nigeria, what you see is a mixture of challenges. You've got uh, obstacles, as I say, to staying in education. You've got obstacles to accessing contraception, making mm. choices around family planning, which, mm -hmm. are, which are very real and... Some of our work is, is focused on that as well, helping uh, by the end of 2021, 15% of women in five states in Nigeria to be able to access sexual reproductive health uh, options and to be empowered to do so. Um, some of them are around just basic obstacles to, um, to political office, which we discussed a bit yesterday, and that was really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. But we've supported um, female uh, candidates to become candidates and certainly to increase the number from 300 to 709 prior to the 2019 election. Now, not all got elected. We recognise that. We could talk about that. But I think having more people stand for elections is really, really important uh, to, to ensuring those aspirations can be met. Mm. And then I think it's about changing attitudes and that's probably the hardest thing isn't it really let's be honest um, changing people's attitudes towards what women can do changing people's attitudes towards what ambition can be uh, changing some of the more damaging and difficult things that happen in private often they do happen in private to be honest including violence against women taking action against that enforcing action against that mm. so there's a whole range of things as I say not unique to Nigeria the UK has got a long way to go on this too <laughs> no question mm. Lagos if you just joined the show you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info it's International Women's Day the UK High Commission was one of the partners for the first ever glass ceiling convention and uh, representing the High Commission on the show today to tell us what they have planned uh, for Nigerian women is the Deputy High Commissioner who participated uh, in GlassCon yesterday. You can actually catch up if you missed it. The podcast will be up soon. Uh, if, you, if you cannot listen to the podcast, you can definitely still watch um, the live show on YouTube, on Facebook. Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. YouTube is Nigeria Info FM. Ben Lulin jones is here. He's the um, Deputy High Commissioner for Her Majesty's government here in Lagos. Now, let's talk about your programs for Nigerian women mm. and, and, and how you believe they address these challenges that you've listed. Mm. So, I mean, they're designed to, as interventions in a number of spaces. So we've talked about girls' education, that's one. Right. We've talked a little bit about the access to contraception and right. sexual health choices, that's another. Right. 
also talked about the um, the work that we've done to try and encourage women to participate in, in and get engaged in political office. Right. There's also the big macro stuff, if you like. Uh, we sit, we hold the pen uh, at the United Nations on the resolution on women, peace and security. And we've got a series of action plans that flow from that in partnership with states in Nigeria, trying to really make a difference on the ground. And we've, t- we've taken some action to support state governments, particularly in Kaduna and uh, Enugu, to um, enact the Violence Against uh, Women's Act, essentially, persons with, persons with, yeah, yeah, FAPWG, isn't it, the act itself. So it's, it's a range of things. And I think that's right, because it's not, it's not like a problem you can fix with one solution. Mm-hmm. And it's not a problem you can fix overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important thing is to continue to change attitudes, raise awareness, uh, allow people to have voice and also show that there's some consequence from doing the wrong thing. I think mm. prosecution's a huge thing. And we've, for example, supported um, in a very different space uh, women who have been trafficked in Nigeria, mm. um, supported them practically, supported them, but also supported them in terms of prosecuting those who have trafficked them. And I think that's really important too. I wonder which ones you think um, are the most satisfying as far as results are concerned. I think girls' education, because it's making a difference right at the stage that, that it needs to. So, mm. uh, you know, uh, and we know that to scale, that can make the biggest difference. Mm. Um, I think the second, and it depends what you mean by satisfying, but second for me, mm-hmm. I think, particularly when you see the very high birth rate in parts of Nigeria, is around ensuring that women can have access to, and the confidence to access sexual reproductive health rights. I think mm-hmm. It's really, really important, I yeah. think. Again, we've seen huge changes in the world where that's become a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, positive changes in the world where that's become a fact. Uh, and the third, and we haven't seen it yet because political office is a different and challenging thing to address, but where we've seen um, strong, confident women taking senior offices. So, I mean, the United Nations, Amina Mohammed, the World Trade Organization, uh, Ngozi Konjuela. Um, I mean, these are really kind of emblematic, uh, emblematic appointments. And I think, you know, we can, some people say we're making too much of this, but I think it's really important to have people there because then there's aspiration towards those positions. Mm. You know, if you see yourself or see someone like you in that position, you can you can aspire towards it. And um, I believe that very firmly. As a, as a father with a daughter, I'm always saying, you know, look at what you'd like to do, look at the people who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really important, I think, for my little girl to, to be able to see that too. To see much. that, yeah, yeah. I think so, I really do. So I think, you know, that's, uh, we didn't, you know, we're not responsible for those appointments, but <laughs> we think they're fantastic. And we yeah. think it's really important to encourage people to keep aspiring to that. And those and for those women to keep speaking out about mm-hmm. their journey, their choice, and how, how they made that journey. Hmm. Lagos, if you've got questions, I would like to hear them, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, calling with your questions for the UK Deputy High Commissioner 0700-993-993-993. Your questions have to be about International Women's Day. They have to be about what the UK High Commission has planned for Nigerian women. Uh, we have a female num- a female caller line 01465-7190. 01465-7190. Uh, yesterday we talked at Glasgow about the role that men must play in women getting political power. But the same applies for all women's rights, really. You know, we need men getting involved, which was why I was happy to see you at Glasgow. What types of interventions can be directed towards men to help them understand the role that they play and incentivize them to play it. Because that was the crux of, like, if you were listening at Glasgow yesterday, mm. um, Honorable Nenokeje was talking about 
the chicken and the egg situation. Mm. Do we not have legislation in the in the uh, National Assembly um, that mandates women run for office, that mandates equal representation in political offices because we don't have women in the House to uh, vote for that legislation? Or do we uh, um, do, do the women in the House not have in do not do not have enough of the power to be able to vote for that? So which one needs to happen first? The people in the House voting for it or for us to wait to get into the House to be able to vote for it? Which has to come first? I, I don't think I'm quite capturing the, the uh, capturing how she said it, but I think I have the essence of it, right? So, so she was basically saying, how do we convince the men who are currently in the House to say, you know what, we want to give up our seats for women to come in and, and take it, right? And I remember I remembered making a quip about turkeys and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, so how do we do that? How do we um, target men? How do we incentivize them? How do we get them to understand the role they play? Sure. No, I, I think I think I mean it's it's a really uh, important question, and and I heard her sort of describe that yesterday too. Mm. And I think it must be quite tough to be a female legislator mm -hmm. sitting in that situation, thinking, you know, mm -hmm. where, where am I? Where am I? Where are my people? Mm -hmm. I guess the key thing is for everybody to think of themselves as people, you know, rather than as a man or a woman in that situation. And I think often for legislators looking at what will benefit their state, their community, really means look what what will happen, frankly, if they empower females within their uh, community and within their state. And you know, that I think is a really, really important point. And we've seen that, for example, with girls' education, the mm. economic benefit to a state, to a community, to a family uh, is really, really important. You mm. know, when we, we've seen that within different sectors, within agriculture, one of our programs supports a quarter of a million female farmers in mm. the north of Nigeria because they are the ones engaged in agriculture. So helping to see people as people rather than I'm a man, I'm protecting men, I'm a woman, I'm protecting women. And I think he for she um, strikes me as, as the right approach there, saying to men, what, what, is, what is actually going to unleash the potential of 50% of the population of this country and mm. therefore support my community, support the economy of my state, support the economy of my community. Really, really important. I think the second thing is, you know, most people have families, they're part of families, and they, uh, they see the potential of their family. And certainly, again, as a father, and talking to Nigerian fathers in Lagos, they see that too mm. for, their, for their sons and for their daughters. Mm. And so actually thinking again about how, um, how some of the changes that uh, we'd like to see can benefit their daughters, allow them to participate, allow them, frankly, to lead uh, and make a difference in that way mm. is huge. It does take time. It does take time, no question. You know, I, I, uh, I don't underestimate the challenge there. Uh, and I, but I don't think it's just for female legislators to do on their own. I think mm. it's talking about what benefits Nigeria as a whole, the community mm. as a whole, which is which is key, mm. uh, and we have to help them. <laughs> Does the UK um, High Commission have um, specific programs for targeting men as part of he for she? Uh, we, well, I think certainly we have uh, when it comes to um, violence against women, uh, sensitization campaigns that mm -hmm. help to help to talk about why not just why this is wrong, but what the impact of this. Mm -hmm. uh, we have um, we have support which is directed towards women who've been subject to sexual uh, abuse and to, and to violence and mm -hmm. how they can reintegrate, how, can we, how we can remove the stigma associated with some of that. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely, uh, you know, our, our support for, uh, for getting um, more and more female candidates to go forward enga engages men, frankly, you know, how do, <laughs> how do they engage with... What's the room voters? like? You know, when, you know during... I, I would love to be a fly in the room <laughs> for those conversations. Sure. What do you hear when you're engaging men and you're talking to them about why it's important for women to run? Yeah. What do they say? 
I think I think it really does depend, doesn't it? I mean, I've you know I wouldn't say who, but I've been in some rooms where you you think, goodness me, uh, that's uh, that's not a good thing to say, and it's it's an attitude that frankly doesn't belong in in the modern world. But you also have to reflect on you know how you can reach people like that because those kinds of people too need to to see past those attitudes and to see see beyond that. Then you have conversations with very enlightened people who completely get it, but mm -hmm. themselves feel quite overwhelmed by the obstacles that they face mm -hmm. and other face by these issues. And then you have uh, conversations with people who are who completely get it and see no obstacle. They just want to keep driving ahead. And I think, you know, all three kinds of conversation are mm. really important. I think reaching people who don't agree is is the most important thing to do. It's it's easy to speak to people who agree with you. It's quite oh, yeah. you know it sort of mm -hmm. makes you feel good it's about like, things. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't change the world. Yeah. So I think reaching people who don't agree with you and understanding why not and trying to bridge that gap and showing them, frankly, as I say, you know, the benefit in the change that we're talking about to them. I think is really, really key. But, you know, like a lot of panelists were saying yesterday at Glasscon, women have tried that. Women yeah. continue to try yeah. that, to reach the other side, um, to talk about the benefits, the economic benefits, the, the pressure off of your shoulders. Um, the world will be a better place, yeah, you know, if, sure. if, if women were half uh, the political leaders. So it, it doesn't seem like advocacy is working, you know. So I'm at a loss. I don't think I'd, I wouldn't. A, I wouldn't give up. Obviously, I wouldn't give up. But B, uh, you know, I don't think uh, we should look at what hasn't been achieved. Let's look at what has been achieved. Let's mm. look at you know, look at the two appointments I talked about: WTO, the the UN itself. Let's look at the. I mean, business is a good example to me. In Lagos, I lived in Abuja for three years. I live in Lagos. I came across very many uh, powerful and uh, and very responsible and important female leaders in in Abuja. In Lagos, I'm overwhelmed by the number of senior, particularly in business uh, and in in media. Uh, female business leaders, female media leaders that we I come across. And I think it shows you how that glass ceiling can be broken in different places, if you like shattered in different places. Mm -hmm. It just takes time to shatter in others. And I think um, that's why you've got to keep trying, keep mm -hmm. persisting. Like I say, it's not like the UK has a perfect record on this. We don't have 50-50% <laughs> representation. We've got about 35% in the House of Commons, which I think is the highest, 36%, the highest we've had. We've had two, two female prime ministers and so on. But, you know, a long, long way to go. We know that. And I think in the UK... Um, that journey, you know, is travelled in this way. You know, you break some ceilings, others you, you punch hard up, you never quite get through yet, but you will get through, you will. Eventually. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I'm Sandra Ezekwasili. Ben Lulian jones is here. He's the UK Deputy High Commissioner talking to me about uh, the plans of the UK High Commission for Nigerian women. Let me take your calls. 0700-993-993-993-01465. -993 that line is for women only. So don't call that line if you're not a woman. 01 Four six five seven one nine zero for the men zero seven zero zero nine nine three nine nine three nine nine three. Joel is on the line. Joel is in Oshodi. Joel, how are you? Hello, Joel. Hello. Thanks for Good calling. Evening. Good evening. Yeah, a quick one. I would like to ask the deputy commissioner a question. Okay. Uh, today being a special day for women. Uh, my heart goes out uh, to a woman in uh, war-torn uh, Yemen. You know, they are the most uh, vulnerable. So I want to know why UK has tried to cut uh, its budget for aid to that uh, war-torn country. And we know that women in that country are most affected, along with their children, in a war-torn situation. Yes, this country has cut support, much needed support to that country. So what becomes of these women? 
That was my question. All right, thanks for asking. Well, uh, Yemeni women are not Nigerian women. Is that a question you're comfortable answering? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a very good question. So, look, I mean, we, we the UK, provide significant uh, multilateral assistance, donor assistance around the world, firstly through multilateral institutions like the United Nations, but also bilaterally. Obviously, uh, the economic situation globally and in the UK has been hit, so the percentage of uh, overseas development assistance we provide has, has reduced. And we've had to take a very tough decision to reduce that still further, just to try and align, frankly, with the economic challenges we face. But within that, and in Yemen, in Nigeria, across the world, we're prioritizing aid to reach the most vulnerable, including women, uh, and doing what we can, what we should, to encourage others to do the same. So it is a tough time. It's a, it's a really fair question. It's a really hard question, but I, and I recognize where it comes from. But we think we're doing not just what we should, but more than we should, frankly, more than we should. We're doing more than we might be expected to try and support um, uh, Yemenis, but also support others around the world where these challenges are very acute and very real. Mm. Right question, fair question. All right, we've got, uh, we've got uh, more questions for you. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you've done work with some state governments. You also mentioned that um, you've worked with NGOs, other mm. players in the private sector. How do you, how do you choose um, your interventions? You know, how do you choose the right partners for those interventions? Sure. Well, it depends really where we are. Uh, it depends where we're. I mean, we're focused often on the most vulnerable. So we're looking geographically at states in Nigeria where where we know those people to be, where we know those people to be facing those most acute challenges, where the most girls are out of, out of school, where uh, we're aware that uh, violence against women is most uh, pronounced. Then, secondly, looking for partners there who can support us, and it's about delivering results in those spaces. And we're very clear. And it comes back to the earlier question: you know, where can aid deliver results? Really, really important, particularly in a significantly challenged economic situation. And then thirdly, looking at the track record of those organisations, those institutions, to see uh, whether or not they can uh, they can really deliver on the ground and how we can work with them. So, you know, it's about those things, I think. And a big part of that is the credibility they have as well with the communities they're trying to reach. And we, we get that too. Given these issues, trust is so important, frankly, to uh, to addressing uh, these kinds of questions. Hmm. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm curious what new pla- what new programs or future plans the UK High Commission has in store for Nigerian women. Well, I think it's as a new plan. So I'm not sure there's anything significantly new. What we have, I think, is a, is a suite of programs that we know to be not just effective, but to really be reaching into those parts of Nigeria which uh, need that kind of support and engagement. So, uh, and perhaps one of the um, reflections about this agenda is actually persistence is what we need. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's cool to try and think about the things that are shiny and new, but actually, in many ways, it's persistence and really doing the hard yards and pushing on, frankly, with getting girls into school making sure there's access to contraception, encouraging women to stand for a political office, helping people who've been stigmatized to, uh, to, to, to re-enter uh, their community and not be stigmatized. You know, those things are uh, not necessarily as exciting as some of the newer ideas that sometimes you hear about, but they're so fundamental, so, so important. And really, from our perspective, I think it's, it's doing those fundamental things, those hard yards that makes the difference. So we're with people for the long term. That's what we see. OK, Lagos, if you've got questions, I've got two more minutes and then I have to let him go. If you've got <laughs> questions, 0700-993-993-993. Or you send a WhatsApp message, 080-959-75805. I'm laughing because we got a funny message <laughs> On WhatsApp, oh someone says um, women are worse when they're in positions that um, they're meaner than men. And <laughs> I told you it was a funny one. <laughs> and then uh, the person uses LASMA as an example. Uh, female LASMA officers are worse than male LASMA <laughs> officers. <laughs> 
it's a, I think, yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because you sometimes hear that. You say, oh, but actually, what, I think what does that reflect? I think that reflects perhaps a different expectation of how people should respond in office. And I think it's sort of, I always say when people say that, you should reflect on yourself, actually, in that situation. What are you actually expecting from that person? And really, you know, is it is it someone being strong and firm and clear hmm. or being mean, right? And sometimes it's definitely the former. Um, hmm. But we just perhaps don't always, some people that always expect women to behave in a certain way, hmm. like a man would, being strong and firm and clear. So mm-hmm. I definitely uh, I definitely always question someone says, oh, that's uh, women in high office are mean. I'm like, really? Is that, <laughs> is that really what's happening here? Or they're just telling you something you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's in itself. You don't want to hear from her. Yeah, you don't want to hear full stop, but from her you find it harder to hear. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's, that's something about men reflecting on experience of, of their experience of talking to other people and worrying yeah. what they should be. So maybe it says more about you than it does about the person. I yeah. think that myself. <laughs> ben, you've been a pleasure to talk to. Thank, Thank you, you so much me. for joining me on Hard Facts today. Uh, Lagos, if you're wondering, the UK High Commission was one of the partners for the first ever glass ceiling convention. And I really owe a big thank you to the UK High Commission for agreeing to go with us on this journey. Let's take a break. We'll come back and play you highlights from the event. Don't go away. Welcome back to your number one talk news and sports station. This is Nigeria in Vogue. I'm Sandra Ezekwesili and yesterday glass ceiling convention was a huge success. I know I've said that again and again, but it really, really was. I really had a great time. It was the first ever glass ceiling convention. It was such a great way to 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 cap the weekend. Attendees from all over Nigeria came, from all over the world came, and um, it was brilliant. One of my highlights was the keynote speech from Nse Ofot. I'm going to play that for you and I do hope you enjoy it. If you're watching on Facebook we're also going to try and stream that um, speech for you as well so that you can watch if you are at work or you can simply listen if you're currently in your car or at home or wherever you are and you cannot log on to watch. Don't go away. A lot of the world was enthralled by the U.S. election last year, which spilled over into two Senate runoffs in Georgia this January. The results of those two races flipped the U.S. Senate for the first time in a decade. And Georgia's presidential result also flipped for the first time in 40 years. And a lot of that was because of mass voter registration of women and young people in the last few years. And our keynote speaker is one of the forces behind that drive. She's the CEO of the New Georgia Project. Her political action group is a force for voter registration, voter education, and getting out the vote. And now she's here to share her insights from her Georgia experience. It is my honor to welcome to the Glasgow stage Nse Ofot, our keynote speaker. Hi, Nse. Me here today. Uh, Sanu, Leo, Leo. Okay. Uh, hello. What's poppin'? <laughs> uh, I'm Nse uh, and I'm the CEO of the New Georgia Project. Uh, we're probably best known for being a sort of large-scale voter registration organization, voter mobilization. Um, 
But the way that I like to describe NGP uh, is that we are uh, one problem solvers and like solution developers, but we are like a a technology startup inside a civil rights and a voting rights organization. Um, when we launched the New Georgia Project in 2014. At the time, there were about 1.2 million Black, Latino, and Asian Americans in Georgia, the state of Georgia alone, who were eligible to vote and completely unregistered. Um, And why that number uh, matters is because when we started looking at uh, top of the ticket races, so United States president, governor of the state of Georgia, United States Senate, top of the ticket is races where everyone in the state um, is eligible to vote. That the enduring margin for about a decade was about 250,000 votes between the successful Republican and, quite frankly, the losing Democrat. And so looking just at historical numbers and historical participation, there were five times the number of eligible but completely unregistered, not participating, Black Georgians, young people, women uh, in our state, five times than any number that was necessary to swing and win any election. And so, you know, we then began to work. Um, I should start by saying that for us at the New Georgia Project, the goal was um, not necessarily just to register a whole bunch of people to vote, but being very strategic about how was it that we were going to bring about the change that we needed to see in Georgia. Um, we think the minimum wage for salaries in Georgia is $5.15 an hour. And I know that we all, because this is a global conference, um, that, that conversion rates, I'm not going to ask you to do math today. Uh, but what I will say is that in Georgia and in several states in the deep south, particularly black states or states where there is a people of color majority, this, the minimum wage is far below the federal minimum wage wage. And the federal minimum wage in America itself is not enough for people to sustain themselves, to sustain a family, uh, to build businesses, to be able to retire in old age comfortably. And so when I think about the fact that in a place like Georgia or in America, that there haven't been any new nuclear power plants built anywhere in the U.S. in over 30 years. And there are two that are being built in Georgia in black communities. Um, When I think about the maternal mortality rate that black women in the U.S. and black women in Georgia die at extraordinary high rates um, during um, childbirth or that in a place like Georgia, Georgia has 159 counties 
And in half of those counties, in about 79 counties, there are no OBGYNs. Um, that there are several places in Georgia where hospitals are closing because there's a requirement that, um, you know, if someone comes in and they're sick, that they have to be treated. Um, and so hospitals are going bankrupt because our leaders in Georgia are refusing to prioritize um, health care and access to health care um, so that, again, not only can we, you know, work and leverage our labor in order to gain profit for our employers, but so that we can live healthy and full lives. So. I should say, when we started the New Georgia Project, the idea was people are dying, people don't have access to health care, let's sign people up. Uh, it was the early days of the Obama administration. Um, they had just passed a law called the Affordable um, Care Act, which was designed to try to give people access to health care. Um, and we were talking to poor people, farmers, uh, people of color who had never had health insurance, who had never been to a doctor and trying to talk to people about, uh, you know, how to sign up for health insurance. It just got very, very complicated and we were not achieving the aims that we sought out to. So we switched um, because part of it is, despite the fact that, you know, there was this federal law that had been passed by the Obama administration, um, that the leaders in our state, in our Georgia, were completely completely unaccountable to the people that they had gotten there by suppressing the votes, by shrinking the electorate. And so if you got into office um, without having to forcefully and strongly make the case to the people, why would you ever be accountable to the people? And that is what we saw from our local leaders and that is what we set out to change. Um, I think before we launched, there were, um, there's never been a woman governor in Georgia, um, that despite the fact that um, Georgia is going to be the first place in the deep south in the U.S. with a white minority, so... Uh, with a white minority. So by 2024, 2025, so in less than five years, white Georgians, white Americans are going to be the minority in Georgia. And while there are some people that are terrified about that future and what it means for the future of public policy uh, in the South, in Georgia and in the U.S., there are other folks that are actively organizing right now in this moment to build a better Georgia, to build our future. And I want to be clear that gender and class do not determine one's ability to lead. I think often about the 2018 governor's election uh, here in Georgia, where my friend uh, and the founder of the New Georgia Project, Stacey Abrams, ran for governor. And she ran for governor um, and by far mobilized the greatest number of 
young people, black people, people of color and women in the history of Georgia. And because of widespread rampant voter suppression, Georgia's long and recent history of voter suppression. Remember that I said in less than five years, white people are going to be the minority in Georgia and then mm-hmm. there'll be a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multilingual, progressive majority. And that there are some people who are deathly afraid of that, so much so that they are willing to break the machinery of our democracy to prevent that from ever, ever happening. And so when you see um, the work that the New Georgia Project did to flip the state of Georgia, to deliver the state of Georgia uh, for um, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and President Biden. Um, When you see nine weeks later uh, that Black Georgians, women and young Georgians came back again over the high holidays in the U.S., right, over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, over Kwanzaa, over Hanukkah, um, to come back out again and vote to deliver Georgia's first Black United States Senator and Georgia's first Jewish United States Senator, who's also a millennium. This happened not because people love voting, um, although, you know, yeah, it's, it's not because like people are like, oh, I'm sitting in my house with my family uh, trying to survive, but I'm such a democracy champion that I want to show up to vote. No. Um, I wish that that were the case. It would absolutely and certainly make my job a lot easier. But the reason that people showed up and they showed up in extraordinary numbers is because we have been doing the work of connecting the act of voting, the act of participating in our democracy to the change that people want to see. That the only way that you're actually going to move people to action, to move people to participating is by talking about their, your shared vision for the world, speaking to people through values, right? What is it that we care about? Uh, that we live in a great nation with an extraordinary amount of resources and there's still an extreme amount of poverty, that there's still a racial wealth gap, that race and gender and class are still the lenses by which um, we look at America's biggest public policy failures, our biggest governmental failures. And but because we know that race and gender and class impact so much how people's daily lives, we also use those lenses to um, develop our solutions. Uh, And so, you know, again, uh, 1.2 million young people, people of color, unmarried women who were eligible at the time when we started. Um, And now to this day, we have registered over half a million people to vote. And I've 
have developed a framework, developed a strategy to get to 1 million by the end of this decade. So by 2022, 20, I'm sorry, 2024, 2025, when the tipping point reaches and Georgia will be majority people of color. Um, but also focusing on, again, how do we talk about our values? How do we talk about the Georgia that we want to build, the America that we want to build for ourselves, for our families, and for our communities. Um, and so, you know, as I start to wind up, I'll tell you that we focus a lot on narrative and narrative, not just as storytelling, but narrative as an organizing tool. Right. How we turn our values into action. Right. That we value integrity. We value honesty. We value fairness that in a country with extraordinary amounts of resources, there should never be a child that goes to bed hungry. That in a country where we have some of the world's greatest scientists and the greatest scholars. Right. I, I brag often about Nigeria and how we discover DNA. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that that gender and class should not prevent any of Nigeria's children, should not prevent any of America's children from having access to quality education, from having access to quality, affordable health care. Right. So those are our values. And we want to turn that into action. We want to turn that into campaigns. And so thinking about the process by which we bring in individuals and we bring in communities and we bring in nations into our world, how these people identify themselves. Who are you? What do you stand for? How we formulate our choices and how we move. And so when I think about that, I think about um, there's a professor from Harvard University who studies social movements. His name is Marshall Gans, and he talks about the story of self, the story of us and the story of now. Right. So when I think about the story of self and I demonstrated that a little bit, like, why were you called to act? Why are you motivated to get others to join you in this action? What stories can you share about your life, your journey that allows other people to get you, to see you, to hear you, to understand sort of who you are in this moment? Right. And the second is the story of us. Right. So when you're trying to bring people into your movement, you're trying to bring people into your campaign. Right. That to see your vision. What are our shared values? What are our shared experiences? What are our shared aspirations for our community, for our country? Um, and which one of these shared experiences or shared values are you going to appeal to when you are calling others to join your movement, to join your campaign? Um, and then there's the story of now. So what are the urgent challenges that you hope to inspire others to take action on? Right. So like obviously there's we often have a, a grand plan, a big vision for our country, for our communities. But what is the issue right now? What is the pain right now? What is the opportunity right now that people can join you in so that we can um, you know, get to that our highest aspirations for ourselves and our country. 
What choices are you asking others to make if we are to meet this challenge successfully? And how can we act together to achieve this outcome? And how can you begin now at this moment? Um, I am often like beating myself up, not beating myself up, but I spend a lot of time in my own head, right? Thinking about plans and, and, and scenario A, B, C through Z. And let me be clear, that is a useful exercise. I think about the 2016 elections where the election of Donald Trump sort of shocked the world and shocked our country um, and shocked a lot of activists and organizers into action to protect ourselves, to protect our families and to protect our communities and our country and the rule of law. Right. But um, it is absolutely important that um, you think about, again, the story that you want to tell when you are bringing people in, the story of yourself, the story of us, and the story of now. And stories not only teach us how to act, but they inspire people to act, right? They communicate our values through the language of the heart and the language of our emotions. And the idea is that you can move people intellectually. People can know what the right thing is to do. There's no doubt in my mind that everyone in Nigeria and everyone in the U.S. knows that there's nothing about our gender that prevents women from being leaders. But the fact that we have not had a woman head of state um, is less about what we know intellectually and more about the culture and how we need to shift culture and how we need to change hearts and minds, right? that those two go together. And that is how we bring about change by telling our personal stories, of not only the challenges that we faced and the choices that we've made and what we've learned from those outcomes, we can inspire others and we can share our own wisdom that it allows us to communicate our values, not as like abstract principles, but as our lived experience. And they have the power to move people to action, right? So when we think about the work that I do with the New Georgia Project, right, it's because again, half of Georgia's counties don't have OBGYNs. And it's not because the money isn't there. The federal government, the United States federal government has offered the state of Georgia billions of dollars to expand its Medicaid program to provide health care to Georgians. But because of Republicans and our conservative leaders values, one, they continue to turn the money down because they want insurance companies to continue to make money because they don't want to deliver a victory to the Democrats and to Obama. They've called it Obamacare. And so by denying Georgians Obamacare, they are willing to let us die for politics, right? And so that is why we register people to vote. That is why we build video games that are designed to demystify campaigns and elections and how they work. That is why we build mobile apps that are designed to help us measure wait times and how long people are waiting in line to vote. That is why we sue the government on a regular basis um, when they are in violation of civil rights laws and voting rights laws. And that is why we 
put our feet in the streets when they are not listening to us, right? When they are ignoring the demands of the people that we are fighting on all fronts. It's in the courts. It's in the court of public opinion. You can check out our Instagram. You can check out our Twitter page. You can check out our Facebook pages. Like there is no platform that we are not using, that we are not using to organize, to tell the story of ourselves and to tell the story of this moment that we are in right now. And so I'm super, super happy to be in community with you all, to have these conversations with you all, because there's one thing that I absolutely know is that we are the ones that we have been waiting for, that there's no Calvary coming to save us, that we are the ones that are going to save Nigeria. We are the ones that are going to save our country, that like there's no book there's no blueprint that we are creating it. We are writing it right now and we owe it to ourselves to act on it. I know you know it. I know you know it in your heart. And so despite the fact that there's not been a woman president before, there's few women governors, that there's no example for you to follow. You know what our people need. And now is the time to act on it. So thank you. Nseofort giving <laughs> an amazing keynote speech yesterday at Glasgow in 2021. You can still watch this thing online. It's on Nigeria Info FM's YouTube page. It's also on our uh, Facebook page, Facebook Nigeria Info 99.3, YouTube Nigeria Info FM. I'm going to take one call and um, well, that will be a wrap on the show today. Hello. Thank you for calling us. Hello, good evening, Sandra. Good evening. Thank you for calling. Thank you. I was a part of the Glasgow yesterday. Oh, I'm glad. And I really enjoyed it. I'm glad. What was your favorite part? As a matter part? of fact, I even won the airtime you gave me. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tell Please, me. I'd like to have such again. Okay. Well, we'll, we have we'll, to organize such again. We'll, I really enjoyed it. We'll do, Thank it, we'll you. do it again Happy next year. Happy International Women's Day, by the way. Same, same to you. Thank you very much for calling. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Well, we're going to do it every year. We're going to do it um, uh, on the Sunday before International Women's Day. So look forward to um, being a part of it again next year. And congratulations again to that uh, lady who just called in. Yes, we gave back um, recharge cards. We gave back data, really. To everybody who called, who was a part of Glasscon yesterday, you know, for spending that data on us. Let's listen to our sponsors on just a minute. I want to give you 10,000 naira.